Alhamdulillah, welcome back to our Ramadan series, uh, Conversations from the Qur'an. This would be considered, um, I'm just going to, if someone can remind me every class, I can mention the number of classes, number six, right? This is class number six, inshallah, so that way for our references, so as I'm putting all of the videos together and uploading it, we, we don't get confused. I know exactly which class this is, all right? So this is class number six, lesson number six, uh, and we are on the second part of the story between uh, the story of the two brothers of Ad, the two brothers or the two sons of Adam, alayhi salam, and that is Habil and Qabil. So yesterday we talked a little bit about opening the story up. We talked a little bit about uh, where this, where the envy came from, the sabab, the reason for the envy, which was the woman. He wanted to marry, Qabil wanted to marry his own twin sister rather than marrying the twin sister of his brother uh, Habil, which was the tradition and envy settled in, which turned into rage. And uh, we explored some of the reasons that led to the envy and 
the danger of envy, and we talked about the cure for hasad, the cure for envy, which is to recognize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allocated for everyone based upon his wisdom. And that may include giving some more than he gives others. That's for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to decide. That's not for us to decide. That's for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to decide, not for us to decide. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, so number 43, ayah 32, I'm just reviewing the last part of our discussion yesterday before we end it. So if you attended yesterday, then you already have all of this. Um, or you shouldn't have it all. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, نَحْنُ قَسَمْنَا مَعِيشَتَهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَرَفَعْنَا بَعْضَهُمْ فَوْقَ بَعْضٍ That we distribute their livelihood to them in the life of this world, and we raise some of them above others. We raise some of them above others. Uh, that's Surah number 43, Ayah 32. And in another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about how even the prophets and messengers, how even the prophets and messengers are not all on the same level. That even the prophets and messengers, there's a hierarchy amongst them. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Prophet Muhammad, is at the top of that list. As Allah says in Surah number 17, Surah to Isra, Ayah 55, And we have preferred, we have given precedence to some prophets over others. So, Habil, as the scholars, they mention Imam al-Baghwi, he mentions in his tafsir, that Habil, he said to his brother, Qabil, um, when he said to him, I'm going to kill you, he said, walima, like, why you want to kill me? He said, لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى قَبِّلَ قُرْبَانَكَ وَرَدَّ قُرْبَانِي وَتَنْكِحْ Subhanallah. This is the dialogue between the two brothers. It's not in the Quran, but it is captured in uh, hadith narrations that many of the scholars, the Mufassirun, the scholars of Tafsir, have collected in uh, their Tafsir. Habil says to his brother Qabil, when Qabil said, I'm going to kill you, he says, Walima, why do you want to kill me? He said, Qabil said, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted your sacrifice and did not accept my sacrifice. Allah accepted your sacrifice and he rejected my sacrifice. And you're going to marry, right? You're going to marry my sister who is extremely beautiful. You're going to marry my sister who is extremely beautiful. And now I'm left to marry your sister who is extremely ugly. And people will say that you are better than me. Does that sound familiar? Who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Shaitan. What does Shaitan say to Allah when he asks him, why didn't you prostrate? I'm better than him. Because the person that is envious is always worried about numbers. Always worried about quantity, not quality. That's where you know there's a lack of sincerity. And sometimes, well, Shay Shay Youth Carter, since we're on the topic, sometimes people do this in their marriages. They keep tabs. How many times you were wrong? How many times I was wrong? How many times I corrected you? How many times have I corrected you? How many times I got to say this to you? Why are you keeping tabs? 
This is not a competition between husband and wife. Wallah al-Azim, husband and wife secretly sometimes are in competition with one another. Wallah al-Azim. How you husband and wife make commitments to each other in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet you in competition with one another. How many times you've been corrected? How many times you've been wrong? Or oh, I'm always wrong. No, it's not that you're always wrong, honey, but here in this moment, you're wrong. I guess I'm always wrong. No, don't don't over exaggerate. Don't be hyperbolic. Like don't don't exaggerate. It's not that serious. Here in this moment, sit in your discomfort. In this moment, you are wrong. That doesn't mean you're wrong all the time. You're always wrong. No. I'm all the higgle men. I'm always the one that's wrong. No, honey, you're not always the one that's wrong. But here in this moment, you dead wrong. Own it. Sit in that discomfort. But we're always over-exaggerating. But here again, keeping tabs. Keeping tabs. SubhanAllah He said, why do you want to kill me? He said, because you are going to marry my beautiful sister, and I'm going to marry your not-so-beautiful sister, and people will say that you are better than me. That's what he's worried about. This is similar to what happens to our young boys now. They get into a scuffle, get into a fight. You got beat up. Now you can't live with that. You're going to go back to your house. You're going to go back to your boy, go back to your car, get a gun, and you're going to shoot him. You're going to kill him. You're going to murder him. Broad daylight in front of everybody because God forbid somebody says he beat you up. Well, guess what, genius? Even when you go to prison, even though you murdered him, Somebody tougher than you, ain't no guns in prison going to say, you still got knocked out. I don't care, even if you killed him. You killed him, but he still whooped you behind. You still got to live with that. There is no escaping that. You still got to live with that. SubhanAllah man. But here, worried about what other people are going to say. Other people going to say, you're better than me. Right, so it's it's very important, man, for us to be mindful of that. We're always worried about what other people are going to say. He said, I'm gonna kill you because based upon this incident, Allah accepted from you and rejected me. I gotta live with that. I gotta live with that taint. And some people just can't handle that. And they would rather go to the furthest extreme, right? What we call the crash and burn theory. You crashed and now you're gonna burn. Why? Because God forbid everybody says, you know, you're better than me. The embarrassment, you can't deal with that. You can't handle that. Even though you were the one who put yourself in this situation because had you just yielded, had you just submitted to the command of your father, Adam, who told you that it was haram for you to marry your sister, and marry my sister, we wouldn't even be in this situation to begin with. But you didn't want to yield. You didn't want to stop. You challenged our father. He challenged Adam. Adam said, okay, well, you guys put forth a sacrifice, whichever one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts, that's what it was. 
Why is it when that happened and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted from him, did not accept from him, why couldn't you just accept that? This was what you wanted. You wanted to put forth the, you know, you want to put forth the sacrifice. Allah accepted from him, didn't accept from you. Now you want to kill him? Why? Because you can't live with the shame. You can't live with the embarrassment. People will say that you are better than me. He said, And your child, the children that you have, will be able to brag and use this situation to show that they are better than my children. That's what you're worried about. So you're going to take my life to escape all of that? What's going to happen to you after you take my life? That's what the person, when they're stuck in their envy, when they are inundated with envy, they can't see beyond the forest. They can't see it. All they see is what's directly in front of them. I'm going to take your life. But what about the consequences that come after that? When you're standing in front of the judge and the judge says, we, we sentence you to a life sentence. No eligibility for parole until 60 years. 45 years. Yeah. They don't, that's, the, that's the part of being a thug. That's the part of being a gangster. That's the part of being an OG. That's the part of being all of that stuff that they don't show you on TV. That part of it, you never see. So Habil, he says to his brother, if you stick your hand out to harm me, then I will not extend my hand to harm you. Indeed, I fear Allah. If you stretch your hands out to kill me, I will not do the same to you because I fear Allah. And the lesson that we get from this is that sometimes, sometimes you cannot meet evil where it is. Got to take the high road, man. You cannot meet evil where it is because evil doesn't recognize any boundaries. You can't play that game, right? In the, the words of uh, Hamlet, in the play uh, Hamlet written by Shakespeare, he said, thus does consciousness make cowards of us all. When you have a conscience, you function with a conscience, you can't do what other people do because you understand consequences. You understand consequences. You can't do what other people do because other people are not functioning with a conscience. You should pull out a gun, blow somebody's brains out in broad daylight in front of everybody. I'm sorry. I'm, that's where I draw the line. You don't have a conscience. You're not thinking 10 years from now when you're sitting in your cell with a life sentence. And it's not only are you, you killed yourself twice because not only are you never going to come home again, you got to relive that incident every single day of your life. You 18, 19, 20, out here smoking weed every day, drinking every day, listening to demonic music, demonic influence music. So you're not conscious. But once you are pulled out of that environment, pulled out of that element, put into a cell where you're around conscious brothers who go to the law library, they're reading every day, Muslims, Christians. This is a jail is prison is a conscious environment, probably one of the most conscious environments in our society. They say that you can find more drugs on a college campus than you can in any ghetto in America. It's a fact. So when they did in the 80s, the war on drugs, and they ran down on black neighborhoods, 
kicking in doors, locking away fathers and uncles and brothers and all of the men in our communities, the ones that we still saying today, where the men at, right? Because we don't trace it back. We don't go backwards. We just start from where we are. Well, where the men at? All of these boys being raised in the house with girls, man, the men been done 20 years ago in the 80s. Flush drugs into the community, so they were either on, they were either addicted to heroin or cocaine or alcohol, alcohol liquor store on every corner in the hood. It's not a coincidence. That was by design. And if you wasn't addicted to drugs, then you were selling the drugs, and you were wreaking havoc on the community. And then when the police called themselves waging war on drugs and ran down on the black community. Those who were not addicted to drugs and, and alcohol were either selling the drugs or committing crimes, they went to jail. So when we're asking why are all these boys being raised in the homes with all of these women, and you know why? That was by design. Yes, jail is a place of consciousness. Don't you see what the men that come out of jail? You don't see the men that come, they got their head on straight when they come out, but they're coming back out into the same sick environment. They're coming right back out into the same sick environment. This is the part of jail that people don't talk about. The conscious men and women that come out of those environments, man. But by the time they come out, the environment is so toxic, it's not really much that they can contribute. And some of them just succumb, they give in. They give in to the environment. But sometimes you can't meet evil where it is. You have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you know that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah number 24, that upon the messenger, upon the messenger is what he is tasked, and upon them is what they are tasked with. Meaning you still got to answer to Allah regardless. So if someone, if someone, uh, if someone is meeting you at a very low place, you can't meet them there. You can't meet them there. And you have to know your limits. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, idfa' billatihi ahsan, repel evil with what is better. You got to take the high road. And although the high road is difficult, especially when the ego is involved and the ego is triggered, you're going to prove yourself. That's the ego talking. No, you're not going to talk to me like that. You're not going to do that to me. That's the ego. Trigger. The high road is the road that most people can't travel. Listen to this verse in Surah number 41. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions the surah number 41, ayah 35. And none will have the ability to exercise patience and taking the high road except those who have patience. None can exercise. None will be able to travel the high road except those who have patience. And none can travel the high road except those who have a great share, a great portion of good character. And this is especially true when the harm done to you propels you to a higher place. 
of nobility, right? As in the case of Yusuf, السلام, somebody do you dirty, somebody do something wrong to you. And in that wrong, you learn a great lesson from that wrong that propels you to a higher place. How can you double back and go back and meet that person at this low space, at this low place where they at? You would be a fool to do that. You tell the person, thank you for doing what you did to me. It's because of what you did to me, the betrayal, how you burned me, how you betrayed me, how you crossed me. It was because of that I learned a valuable lesson. So I thank you because I wouldn't be who I am today had you not crossed me, had you not betrayed me, had you not did what you did to me. I wouldn't be able to see the world the way that I see it now. Look at Yusuf, when he came out of prison, the king sat him right next to him. Had his brothers never done that to him, wallahu a'lam whether that would have been his journey. The king said, I will single him out for myself. I need Yusuf, part of my cabinet, sit on the side of me. Yusuf said, no, just place me over the wealth of the city. Place me over the wealth, the agriculture. You know, I'm good with that. I'm good with money. He was raised by the Aziz. He was raised by the chief minister of finance. So he taught him. He learned a great deal. I'm good with money. I'm not good with authority and, and kingship. I don't want that. Knowing your, knowing your level, knowing your place, functioning in within your circle of competency, doing what you are good at, not what somebody else wants you to be good at. So instead, he instructs Qabil to fear Allah. He said, I fear Allah. And he's instructing him to fear Allah. Qala alusi, qila kana habil aqwa min Qabil. The scholars of tafsir, they mention that Habil was actually stronger than his brother Qabil. was actually stronger than him. وَلَكِنَّهُ تَحَرَّجْ عَنْ قَتْلِهِ وَاسْتَسْلَمَ لَهُ خَوْفٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ جَلَّ وَعَلَى But he was afraid to strike back at his brother or defend himself against his brother out of fear that he may transgress. And so he gave in to the situation. He submitted to the situation out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we don't retaliate, not because I'm scared of you, but because I'm scared of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm not worried about me. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But some people, especially in our environment, in our society, they take that as a weakness because you didn't strike back, because you didn't retaliate, and they think you're a chump. They think you're a punk. They think you're a coward. It's just like, I'm none of those. This is the whole reason that we tell people I'm fasting when they violate us during Ramadan. We say what? The Prophet said, if someone violates you, while you're fasting, then you should say, in I'm fasting. Why? That's a reminder to you, number one, I'm fasting. And that's a reminder to the other person that if I wasn't fasting, I would meet you where you are. If I wasn't fasting, I would meet you where you are. So when you say, in I'm fasting, that is a reminder to you and to the person. Reminded to you that you're still fasting. Don't lose it in that moment. And as a reminder to the other person that if I wasn't fasting, I would meet you exactly where you are. It's a reminder. And so Habil, although he had the ability to retaliate against his brother, he chose not to. Out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala he said, وَهَذَا فِي شَرْعِ آدَمْ جَائِزْ لِمَنْ أُرِيدَ قَتْلَهُ لِمَنْ أُرِيدَ قَتْلَهُ 
وأن ينقاد ويستسلم طلبا للأجر كما فعل عثمان رضي الله تعالى عنه عبد الله بن ابن عمر the son of Umar bin Khattab رضي الله تعالى عنه he said this was permissible in the legislation that was given to Adam in the laws that were given to Adam السلام, it was permissible for a person to just submit to the situation without retaliation that was permissible for them to do and the person the number one the, the first person to act upon that in our ummah in the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was Uthman ibn Affan when they surrounded Uthman's house Muslims surrounded the house of Uthman read this the the the, the murder of Uthman ibn Affan wallahi mubki make you cry man. it will literally make you cry because the people who did this were people who claimed to be Muslims and this is why when Umar عنه, found out who stabbed him, Abu Lu'lu'a, Fayruz, he, he was a disbeliever living in Medina at the time, but he was the one who was responsible for stabbing Umar while he was making salat, leading the, the believers in salat al-fajr. When Umar told his son and Abdullah ibn Abbas, go find out who stabbed me. When they found him, they even they killed him. Oh, he actually killed himself. When he saw the Sahaba surrounding him, he took his dagger and he slit his throat. When Umar found out that it was the disbeliever who killed him, Umar said, Alhamdulillah, alladhi lam yaj'al mitati ala yaddi rajilin yaddai al-Islam. He said, all praises due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who did not make my death at the hands of a man who claims to be a Muslim. All praises due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who did not make my death at the hands of somebody who claimed to be a Muslim. Because if a Muslim would do something like that, then what would that say to the larger world outside of the Islamic community? Why in the world would I want to become Muslim when a Muslim can raise their hand up against another Muslim, Muslim can kill another Muslim and not think twice about it? Man, I don't want no parts of that really. And alhamdulillah for people who still convert to Islam despite our dysfunction as an ummah. Because we're human and we suffer from the same ills that everybody else in society suffers from. We're not impervious, you know, to what goes on in the, in the larger society around us. We still have Muslims who are addicted to drugs. We still have Muslims who are addicted to alcohol. We still have Muslims who are addicted to the criminal lifestyle. We still have Muslims who beat their wives. We still have Muslim women who take their child's father, their ex-husband to child support, taking more than what they deserve, more than what they require. We still have all of this dysfunction going on. We are not impervious. We're still humans. We're still a part of the larger society that, that, that surrounds us. People tend to think, oh, you guys are Muslims. What is all of this dysfunction? Like, we're human. We suffer from the same ills that any human being would suffer from living in a toxic environment like America. It's toxic here. You ever been to other countries? This is toxic, man. Have you ever spent just an inkling amount of time in another country? It's peaceful. They would have you thinking parts of Africa, parts of Nigeria, parts of West Africa, they like savages. Meanwhile, they living over there like it's Wakanda or something. Man. Looking at us like we the savages. Because in reality, we are. We're the only place in the world where a, a, a Caucasian male goes into a church, right? Goes into a church, prays with the church, with the churchgoers, and then turn around and murders them. What other place on the earth? What other place on earth does that? And then the police come and pick him up, put him in handcuffs, stop at McDonald's, get him something to eat, and then take him to the booking station. 
But a 12-year-old, you know, uh, Tamir Rice playing with a toy gun behind a Kmart or Walmart, police show up, and in less than 90 seconds, he's dead. Or a toy gun. This guy killed 12, how many killed? 12 people in a church? And he's handcuffed and walked out of there. Fingerprinted and everything. Sandra Bland pulled over for a broken taillight. Never even made it to the police station alive. She was dead before she arrived at the police station. This is, this is America. This is the society that we live in. Savages. If you really want to talk about savages, we are the real savages. SubhanAllah. And we're sitting here looking at third world countries like they poor, they poor, but they happy. They poor, but they peaceful. They poor, but they civilized. They civilized. It's not a police car on every corner to police everything because the, the human beings don't know how to police themselves. You hardly see police officers. Police officers, I mean, even in Saudi Arabia, police officers, they come in the message, they pray that, you know, they go about their daily life like it's nothing. And not monitoring, not everybody is a criminal. But here in America, everybody's a criminal until you prove it innocent. And Uthman, he opted for this particular methodology. Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani, one of the great scholars of Islam, he said, And this was collected by Ibn Abi Hatim. He said that Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani, he said the first person from our ummah, from this nation, the Muslims, to... Take this ayah, meaning the ayah where Habil says to his brother that if you stretch your hand out to harm me, I will not stretch out my hand to harm you. Um, indeed, I fear Allah. The first person from our ummah to take this ayah and apply it was Uthman ibn Affan. When they besieged his house, when they ran in his house while he was fasting, while he was reading Quran. You know why Uthman was fasting? Because they had besieged his house for days. They wouldn't let any food come in. They wouldn't let him have any food. He decided, I'm a fast. Following the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu when he woke up in the morning and he asked Aisha, what do we have for breakfast? Uh, what do we have in the, in, in the kitchen to eat? And Aisha said, we don't have anything. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Ethan and Asa'an, then I'm, I'm just on fast. No need for me to waste the opportunity. That's what you call optimism. He would say, oh no, I gotta grab a gun. I gotta go out and rob people because I gotta feed my family. I don't have no food, I'm fasting. Still get the edger, still get the reward. That's called optimism. The number one claim for guys who go to prison: Why are you in jail? Why do you keep coming back? I got to take care of my family. I got to feed. Well, who's feeding your family, genius? Why are you doing three years, three to five years in in in, in prison? Who feeding your family? The same one who feeding you while you in prison. Al-Razak, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. What this lame excuse that I got to feed my family? Meanwhile, you're running around with jewelry and three, four hundred dollar Jordans on. You're not feeding nobody. You're feeding your ego, not feeding your family. That's a cop out. You're feeding your ego. You feed in the image that you want the streets to have of you. But you'll come to jail talking about, oh, I'm, I had to feed my family. Right. This is the lies we keep telling ourselves. We lie the loudest when we lie to ourselves. We lie the loudest. When we lie to ourselves, 
It's a fact. And Uthman, when the Sahaba came to defend him, he told them, go home. He told them, go home. Uthman took a nap before they broke down his door. And he said that he saw the Prophet ﷺ in a dream. And the Prophet ﷺ said to Uthman, Ya Uthman, aturidu antadagadda bina ghadin ana wa Abu Bakr wa Umar fil jannah. He said to the, the Prophet ﷺ, Uthman said he saw the Prophet ﷺ in Jannah. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Uthman, don't you want to have lunch with me in paradise tomorrow? Me, Abu Bakr, Umar, don't you want to have lunch with us in Jannah tomorrow? Uthman said, Wallahi, I would love to have lunch with you tomorrow. I told you you was going to be a martyr. And it happened. He told the Sahaba, go home. I don't want no blood spilled on account of Uthman. And when he broke his door down, Uthman, he raised his hand up to protect himself. And the guy with the sword, the first one to enter with the sword, he swung the sword, cut Uthman's hand off. Cut his hand off. Uthman's hand is on the floor. Wallah al-Azim, Uthman said, SubhanAllah. Uthman said, that is the hand that I wrote the revelation from the Prophet That is the hand that I wrote revelation with. And you cut my hand off. That is the hand that I wrote the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with. Uthman was one of the scribes of the Prophet La ilaha illallah. When people believe that they're right, there's nothing that you can do to turn them away. Nothing. You cut this man's hand off. You murder him in front of his wife. This is blood on the hands of the ummah that we have never recovered from, even to today. And for those of you who are listening, you ever think about putting your hands on a Muslim, I want you to think about that. You ever think about punching a Muslim in the face? Muslim men who are abusive to their wives. You ever, the next time you think about punching your wife in the face, slapping your wife in the face, just think about the tongue that she recites Al-Fatiha with. Think about the tongue that she recites the Quran with. Think about the forehead that she places on the floor to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which you damage her face. The next time you think about doing that and think about the consequences, the divine consequences that you will have to answer for on the day of judgment. This is not a joke. SubhanAllah. Sometimes it's just best to walk away from the situation. Just walk away. Do what... Habil did, do what Uthman did. Not to be misconstrued. That does not mean that you don't have the right to defend yourself. This is the beauty of Islam. There's always a balance to that. Mudafa'atil insan ala nafsihi liman yuridu dhulmahu ja'iza. The scholars say that a man defending himself or a woman defending themselves against someone who seeks to do them harm is permissible in our religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in ayat 16, 16, 126, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that if you punish 
If you punish, then if you retaliate, you punish, then punish with the like of what was given to you. Don't go beyond. Don't go beyond. Sometimes you play the victim too long, you end up becoming the victimizer. It's called the victim to victimizer paradigm. Well, oh, woe is me. This person did this to me. This person did that to me. So now that justifies me doing whatever I want to do to the person. No, it doesn't. You punish the person. If you choose to do so, you punish them with the same amount of damage or harm that they did to you. And do not go beyond that. Because when you go beyond that, you become the transgressor. You become the oppressor now. You was once the victim. Now you are the victimizer because you went overboard. Guy punch you in your face, you punch him in his face, knock him out, stomp him out, kick him, kick him, kick him, his teeth knocked out, broken leg, broke a jaw, broke this. All he did was whatever he did to you. He didn't do that, but you had to make a point. Here again, that ego triggered. You got to make a point. We have to make a point. Husband and wife get into a shouting match, arguing. Oh, you're going you're gonna to do that to me or you're going to do that? I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to show you. And that's where the ego kicks in. And in doing that, whatever it is you're doing, you are now going above and beyond. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are at surah number five, ayah 30. فَطَوَّعَتْ لَهُ نَفْسُهُ قَتْلَ أَخِيهِ فَقَتْلَهُ فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ فَطَوَّعَتْ يعني سهلت عليه نفسه He accepted the notion or the idea to kill his brother. He accepted the notion to kill his brother. First it starts off as a thought. That's why you got to be mindful of your thoughts. You let those thoughts, you know, wander. There's a quote that says, watch your thoughts because your thoughts become your words. Watch your words because your words become your actions. Watch your actions because your actions become your habits. Watch your habits because your habits become your character. And watch your character because your character becomes your destiny. That becomes the thing that people, your legacy, what people know you by even after you're gone. That's what you know as. Watch your thoughts, man. Don't continue to entertain because the more you entertain, the more that that is going to lead you to say something, which leads you to do something, follow up. Because sometimes, especially in the black community, when we say something, we got to follow up our words with actions. Otherwise, here again, somebody might think you're bluffing. Oh, you think I'm joking? Oh, you think this is a game? You think this is a joke? Right? Because we got to follow up those words with actions. But guess what? If you never uttered the words, then you would never felt compelled to follow up those words with actions. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is say nothing at all. The best thing that you can say is nothing. Nothing. As the scholars say, that if speaking is silver, then silence is golden. Silence is golden. Sometimes the best thing that you can say is nothing at all. So he accepted the idea to kill his brother, and he murdered his own brother. And he was amongst those who were absolute loser. You a loser. You kill your brother, you a loser. You kill your brother in Islam, you a loser. You thought about killing your brother in Islam, that is loser mentality. You about to sacrifice your paradise for this one? It's easier for you to just walk away. 
And I know that sounds easier to say because I'm not in a compromising situation, but the more and more we begin to entertain these positive thoughts, the more and more we will be able to exercise these things when we are in those situations. Now, we're not talking about turning the other cheek because turning the other cheek means that I'm going to let you do it to me again. No. The Prophet ﷺ the believer doesn't get stung in the same hole twice. You can fool me once. That's on me. You smack me on one face. But once I see you for who you are, I got to distance myself from you. I got to protect myself from you. Even if I forgive you, I don't have to sit at the table and eat with you. Just because you lost me as a friend doesn't mean that you've gained me as an enemy. I'm not your enemy. I just don't want to be friends with you. I'm cool over here. You stay over there. But you don't ever give a person wiggle room to do it to you again because that makes you the fool. Ah, you can't do that. The believer does not get stung in the same hole twice. You stick your hand in the hole, you get stung. You're not going to stick your hand in there again. The pain was the lesson. The, the lesson was in the pain. You got crossed. You got betrayed. You, you know, that's the, the pain that you would feel from that. That's your lesson. And some of us, we are gluttons for pain because we keep putting ourselves in the same situation over and over and over again, continue to get burned, continue to get crossed, continue to get betrayed. And then we'll say, I have trust issues. You have trust issues with yourself, not with the people you keep trusting. You don't trust yourself because if you trusted yourself, you would have known the first time the person showed you who they are to believe them, right? When a person shows you who they are the first time, believe them. They weren't lying to you. It wasn't a mistake. A repeated behavior is not a mistake. That's just who they are. It's a fact. Don't keep making excuses for the person. We keep saying, oh, no, they didn't mean to do it. Baby, I'm sorry. I didn't really mean it. Nah, you meant it. You meant every bit of it. I see you clearly for who you are. And if I choose to continue on in this situation with you, I do so guarded but not blinded by your nonsense. But some of us, we gluttons for pain, man. We love it. We love it. We love the pain. Sometimes some people are so delusional into thinking that pain is, in, is, a, is a proof that the person loves you. Person hurt me. That means they love me. I don't even want to go into where that comes from, but Part of some people's makeup. That's how they wired him. His soul accepted the deed and he followed through with it. Sometimes our hearts, our souls can be bombarded with thoughts that are either from ourselves or from the whispers of shaitan. Or from the whispers of shaitan. And although we have duafir, we have defenses to help us defend ourselves against these thoughts, uh, sometimes uh, in a moment or two of weakness, these thoughts, they get the best of us. And we accept them and we carry it out. So let me tell you, obviously he had help in killing his brother. He didn't do it all by himself. Guess who's there to help him? Of course, your best friend when you are angry. Your best friend when you're vulnerable. Who do you think your best friend is when, you, when you're vulnerable? Shaitan. He sends somebody right to you. Oh, I only want good for you. I'm just trying to give you some advice. You know. Watch those people. Watch those moments when you're vulnerable 
and watch the people that come to you out of nowhere. You ever notice sometimes when you're vulnerable, you're angry, you're upset, you're in a you in a place, you're in a space, and out of nowhere you get an email, text message, or DM, or you bump into somebody that you hadn't seen in a while, and you're like, wow, that's not a coincidence. That is not a coincidence. Shaitan setting you up the whole way. You can't see it. You might be delusional enough to think, oh, this is Allah sending me what I need in this moment. Now, that ain't Allah. You, you, you know I mean, like, and the only people that can really see that for what it is, is you have to be God conscious. You have to be mutaqi. You have to be somebody who is aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times. Because when you are aware, you understand that the physical world in front of you is just a just the tip of the iceberg. You understand that what you see in front of you physically is just a, the top part of the iceberg. The real puppet masters, the real ones that are making things move and making things happen is beneath the surface in the unseen world that you can't see. You got to understand that. And so shaitan, as the scholars of Tafsir, they say, Abdullah ibn Abbas, actually, and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, they both narrated in their explanation of this ayat. They said, habil kana na'ima, that Habil was asleep. This, this is crazy. Habil was asleep. While he was sleeping, laying down, his brother grabbed a boulder and smashed his head with the boulder. However, let me rewind back a little bit because there was no murder before this. So while he has all of this rage pent up, he didn't really know how to off his brother. He didn't know how to get rid of him because there was no murder that took place before this. So while that rage is there bubbling, exacerbated, he's, he's fuming, shaitan comes along. Pay attention to this. SubhanAllah. While he's sitting there enraged, wanting to do something to his brother, but not really knowing how to get rid of him, Iblis comes to him in the form of a man. Comes to him in the form of a man. And Iblis takes a bird from the sky and he puts the bird's head down on the ground and he takes a rock and he smashes the head of the bird while Qabil is watching him. And so essentially, Shaitan taught Qabil how to murder. Taught him how to murder. So every murder that takes place on this earth, you know that Shaitan or one of his Soldiers has something to do with it. Make no mistake about it. Every single murder that takes place on this earth, Shaitan or one of his soldiers has something to do with it. So behind every evil, here's another lesson. Behind every evil, there's a devil. And the only difference between the word evil and devil is the deed. You put the D on evil, becomes devil. No coincidence there. 
behind every evil, there's a devil. And this is the same way that Shaitan, believe it or not, if you guys didn't know, Shaitan was also responsible for introducing homosexuality into the world. You know that? Listen to what Abdullah ibn Abbas said. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he mentioned, as Ibn Kathir mentions in his tafsir, in his explanation of the story of Prophet Lut, that the people of Sadum, or Sodom, they were afflicted by drought and severe hunger. So they prevented travelers from coming in and out of their city out of fear that they would eat from the, you know, the harvest and what they had stored up for them because they were suffering from drought. So they wanted to stop people from coming in and out of their city, stealing their crops or taking their crops. So Shaitan appeared before them in the form of a man. Shaitan again, in a period of vulnerability, you vulnerable. One of the vulnerability is as a result of fear. When you're afraid, you're scared. That's a vulnerability. That's a vulnerability. Even when you're happy, it's a vulnerability. Because sometimes we do things when we are extremely happy, and then afterwards we regret it, right? Remember grandmothers, grandfathers, they used to go to Atlantic City. They hit bingo at the church, go to Atlantic City, and then come back, and they depressed because you know, went and gambled up all your money. And you hollering about how many bills you got to pay and what you got to do with this and you're taking more money from cousin so-and-so and such and such and so-and-so because you don't went and spent up all your money extremely happy but you were also vulnerable not realizing that in the extreme periods of happiness extreme periods of fear sadness any type of emotion that takes you to an extreme pro uh, provides you with a space to be vulnerable it's a fact so you have to be aware of your POV, your periods of vulnerability. Be aware of yourself in those moments because those are the moments that shaitan strikes the hardest and is more effective, right? So they're afraid. They don't want somebody to come into their city and take. So shaitan appears to them in the form of a man and says to them, gives them a suggestion. He says to them, if you find any stranger in your city that is not from you, then this is what you do. You strip him down of his clothes. You have sex with them. You sodomize them. This is where the name sodomites come from, to sodomize someone. Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where the word comes from. Strip him down of his clothes, sodomize him, and then hang him. And people who see what happened to him in the city, they'll never enter into your city. No one would pass through the city. So they start touring around with the idea, okay, all right, maybe that's something we can do. But we don't see no strangers in our city. Where the stranger gonna come from? Yes. He sets up the situation. He sets you up for failure every single time. He sets up the entire situation. So Shaitan appears to them on the top of a mountain as a handsome young boy. They look up at the mountain and say, you don't know him. Who's that? I don't know. He's handsome. He's a stranger. Let's do what he suggested. Go up, grab the young boy, strip his clothes down off of him, sodomize him, rape him, do whatever they do to him, and then they drag him through the streets of Sadun. Then they hang him up. 
And after this, anyone who stepped foot into their city received the same behavior, the same treatment. And this was the practice that they were doing before Lut even came into their city. They were already doing this before Lut even came to them. Which is why when Lut in the story, as Allah mentions in the Quran, when Allah sent Angel Jibreel and Angel Mikael in the form of handsome young men to go inform uh, Prophet Lut that he was about to destroy them, Lut's wife betrayed him, as Allah mentions in the Quran. All of this is mentioned in the Quran. His wife betrayed him, went behind his back, told the men of the city, there's two strangers in Lut's house, not from the city. They went banging and knocking at Lut's door to let them have access to the two guests. Captured in the Quran. So shaitan essentially does exactly what goes on in our society, our government, will create the problem, and then we'll provide you with the solution. Absolutely. It's politics. We create the problem, then we provide you with the solution. I can apply to so many things. Please don't get me talking. I don't want to get off my subject. But I'm hoping I'm talking to intelligent people who know exactly what I'm talking about. Provide you with the problem and then provide you with the solution. Right? Jail, Democrats, Republicans, COVID. The list goes on and on and on. And then some genius will say, oh, that's conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory is the phrase that we use when we don't want to think, when we don't want to critically analyze anything, when we are afraid to hear what actually might be the truth. Because we've been lied so long, we've been lied to for so long, we actually enjoy the lie. We love the lie. We love being lied to. Yeah. Hmm? Entertainment? It feels good because by accepting a lie, you don't actually have to do any real work. If a man is beating a woman, hate to keep using this example, but if a man is abusing a woman and he's telling you that he loves you and you accept the I love you without looking at the treatment, right? It's easier to accept the I love you because to accept the treatment means you got to do what? You got to get up out of there. You thinking about my kids, you think about you know, how, how I'm going to live, how I'm going to survive, how I'm going to pay my bills, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to do that. You know, so you stay because staying is easier. Believing the lie is easier. Accepting the truth requires you to do some digging, requires you to do some real work. And many people don't want to do real work, so we just opt for the lie. We go with the lie. It's easier. As the scholars, they say, sin blinds you to the truth. After he killed his own brother, he didn't even know how to bury him, so he kills him. Habil, the scholars mentioned, was only 20 years old when this happened. 20 years old. There's so many references that we can make to the young African-American men in our environment. I just wish that I had, you know, an opportunity to speak to them on a larger scale where you could, you know, but you can't, you can't reach them when 
they clouded, their judgment is clouded by music and weed and their friends and influence in the hood and the streets and reputation and egos. And you got to sift through all of that, which is why the only two times that these young men ever listen is when they're in prison or when they're in, de- when they're in the casket. In the words of Tupac, hard-headed, maybe you'll listen in your casket. You're hard-headed. Maybe you'll listen when the angels of death come to collect your soul and tell you to sit up in your grave and begin asking you questions. Then and only then, do we got your attention now? In high school, and middle school, you bring them into the auditorium, this one, well, I don't wanna hear all this. Well, what do you wanna hear? You don't want to hear nothing until you put in a situation where you won't have no other choice but to listen. But I got your attention now. When you're looking at 20 years, I got your attention now. Now do I have your attention? Absolutely. Full undivided attention. When the angel of death comes to collect your soul, do I have your attention now? Well, only two times they listen. And it's really sad, man, because they're right here, but we can't reach them. Right here, but we can't reach him. But we have to keep talking. We have to keep saying, hopefully, our words will reverberate, inshallah, and it'll touch somebody. Somebody. It's our responsibility to do the work. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's responsibility to inspire. That's not our job. Scholars mentioned that Habil was only 20 years old when this happened. When Qabil killed him, he left his body on the ground. He didn't even know what to do with the body. Similar to what happens in today. Pow, pow, pow. Blow his brains out in the middle of the street. And then you jump in your car and drive away. Leave his dead body right there on the ground. No no feelings, no remorse, no nothing. He didn't even know what to do with his body. Because this was the first death on earth amongst human beings. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the very next ayah, surah number 5, ayah 31, فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ غُرَابًا يَبْحَثُ فِي الْأَرْضِ لِيُرِيَهُ كَيْفَ يُوَارِي سُؤَاتَ أَخِيهِ قَالَ يَا وَيْلَتَ يَا وَيْلَتَ عَجَزْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ مِثْلَ هَذَا الْغُرَابِ فَأُوَارِي سُؤَاتَ أَخِيهِ فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ النَّادِمِينَ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, look at the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though this man murdered his brother unjustly, for no other reason other than the fear of what people would say, right? He murdered his brother, left his body on the ground, didn't even know how to bury the body. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, الرحمين, the most merciful of those who have mercy, even despite what the gruesome act that he did, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends a bird, two crows. They fought each other, one crow killed the other crow, and then the crow that killed him began to dig in the, in the earth with his beak to bury the bird. And it was from there that Qabil learned how to bury his own brother. Here again, nature teaching us that what technology has yet to, you know, to grasp. Everything that we have in technology, we got it from nature. Man looks at nature, ponders and reflects enough and then tries to recreate, recapture what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us. This is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So while we use technology to dismiss the presence and the existence of God, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us nature so that we could create the technology so that we can evolve as human beings into being the best version of ourselves, not the worst version of ourselves. Unfortunately, we take technology and do the opposite. SubhanAllah. So it was from there he learned how to bury his brother. He said, Ya Waylata. He said, Woe be to me. Shame on me that I am not even able to be like this crow and bury my own brother. SubhanAllah. This bird is better than I am. Fa'asbah amin al-nadimin. And at that point, at that point, he became amongst those who regret it. Remorse. And the scholars, they mention that sometimes sin will blind you to the truth. Sin will blind you to the truth. He said, even the brother, even the brother Qabil who killed his own brother, he did not even know how, like you didn't even know how to murder your own brother. But after you murdered him, you didn't even know how to bury him. Like, SubhanAllah. The ignorance due to your own sin. Like you committed a sin and you didn't even know how to cover it. But نَحْنُ نَسْتَفِيدُ مِنَ الْآيَةِ And we learn from this ayah a lesson, and that is that sins can sometimes blind you to the truth. Sin can blind you to the truth. As in the case of Sora to Yusuf in the story of Yusuf, as you remember when the brothers, they threw Yusuf in the well, right? And all these years go by. And then Yusuf is sitting on the throne now, the king of Egypt. And they enter into the king's court to beg for food. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And when they entered into the king's court and they're sitting there, brother, so immersed in their sin that they didn't even know that that was Yusuf. Sin will blind you to the reality of what is standing right in front of you. Sin will blind you to the reality of what's staring you right in your face. This guy didn't even know how to bury his own brother. And this also shows us how we learn from nature. Nature is a classroom that offers many lessons. Similar to the way that we develop airplanes from birds, submarines from studying whales. The actual design of the submarine is based upon the shape of a whale and many other inventions. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described him as the biggest loser. He killed the closest person to him, his own brother. Right? You killed the closest person to you, you're the biggest loser. His loss is not only in this life, but also in the next life. The lesson here is that oppression against someone else is a violation of your own self. That's the lesson here. Oppression of someone else is a violation of your own self. As the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, I caution you against being oppressive. I caution you against being oppressive because oppression is darkness on top of darkness on the day of judgment. And 
The person who transgresses against another by oppressing them, he bears the sin of the person and he bears the sin of his own oppression. And with those two sins, he will be from the people of the hellfire. And that is the reward, that is the recompense of everyone who is oppressive, who resorts to being oppressive. And it was because of this ayat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made uh, taking life sacred and killing one person is equivalent to killing all of mankind. Remember that ayat? The very next ayah, sort of a five, ayah 32. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, because of this, min because of this incident between Habil and Qabil, katabna ala bani Israel, we had decreed for bani Israel, annahu man qatala nafsin bighayri nafs, that if anyone kills the soul without due right, aw fasadin fil ard, or creates mischief in the earth, fakannama qatala nafsin jami'an, it's as if you have killed all of mankind. You kill one soul as if you killed all souls. Why? Let's see who can get, who can pick up that. Why is it if you kill one soul, it's as if you killed all? If you murder, you 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 take on all of the sins of. No, mm -mm. close. you go murder doesn't just impact the person that was murdered think about if that person had children think about when that person has children their children has children you think about the mother of that child think about the father of that child the pain reverberates the ripple effect not only that the scholars they say that if you have the audacity to kill one soul without due right You'll kill any soul. So it's as if, just because you killed him, you kill anybody. It's as if you killed all of mankind. And there are people in the world like that right now. They don't care who they murder. They don't consider the sanctity of life. Life is not sacred to them. There is no sanctity of murder. Absolutely. I mean, there's no sanctity of life. They don't consider any life. They might say, oh, I protect my mother. I protect my father. But you'll go kill this person, this innocent person who had nothing to do with whatever happened. You don't care about your, your little sister, your daughter. You don't care about them either. Because if you'll take that life unjustly, then you'll take anybody's life. You are capable of taking anybody's life. So... With that being said, man, it's it's a it's a it's a horrible horrible story, but there's so many lessons in it. Um, so let's recap some of the lessons that we that we gather from this story. What are some of the lessons? Let me see if you guys have been itemizing some of the lessons that we grab from the story. I'm going to eventually put this into book form, like we did with the use of book, inshallah, and then then I'll I'll itemize all of the lessons. But for now. It's just so much information. I'll say this is a lesson or in this is a lesson and I'll mention it. But uh, when I wrote my notes, I didn't itemize them when I wrote them. Go ahead, I'm listening. Absolutely. We're talking about the cure for uh, envy. 
And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to some and he doesn't give to others. And that's his choice. That's his choice. Love doesn't hurt. I know that that's right. Well, not, not in a bad way. Sometimes love hurts in a good way. Sometimes you love a person, but you got to tell them the truth about themselves. And that hurts. But it's from a place of love. Absolutely. But you see the, the constant references and connections to the story of Yusuf. The story of Yusuf, Wallah al I, I, I of course, I take no credit for any of that myself. I was totally from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Totally from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we covered that story in the detail that we covered it in. But subhanAllah, after covering that story, you can literally make a connection to that story with everything else that we talk about from the Quran, literally. Almost as if studying that story, that story, that surah became like the foundation of our understanding of the Quran. Because every other sur every other story that we cover or look at, we always find the scholars referencing something from the story of Yusuf. SubhanAllah. His garments are ripped from the front. That means he wanted to do it. But if it's ripped from the back, right. he was trying to get away. Right. And when they revealed the garments, it was ripped from the back. And so that no one was around but Yusuf and the queen. And had he not had integrity, did the right thing. And when he was caught, he would have been caught. So that's one of the things I really give him that story. Integrity. Absolutely. Integrity, doing the right thing even when nobody's watching, man. SubhanAllah. Don't be envious. Yeah, that's a that's an easy one. <laughs> that's an easy one. Don't try to make something halal. That is haram. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. He tried to marry a sister. It was haram for him to marry a sister. And he went through all of this, you know, putting forth sacrifices. And then you if you really wanted her that bad. Why wouldn't you put forth a sacrifice that actually was indicative of the fact that you wanted her? If you really wanted to marry your sister and you were willing to put forth a sacrifice to prove that you wanted her, why didn't you say, here again, that, that's something we can, don't make me go there. Sheesh, my goodness, man, oh man. You want to marry the sister, but then you want to give her Sayyid Bukhari for a dowry. Like, come on, man. Do you really want her or you don't want her? You playing games, man. You want the sister or you don't want the sister? Sister asks you for 10 grand for a dowry. Oh, that's too much. I can't afford 10 grand. She ain't worth 10 grand. She got to negotiate with what she believes that what she wants as a dowry. She got to negotiate. That's too much. No, brother, don't ever tell a woman that's too much. Just tell her the, the truth. And the truth is what? I can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever tell her that's too much. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that if you gave her a mountain of gold, then don't take anything away from it. Based on that ayat, the scholars say that there is no cap, no limit to how much a woman can ask for a dollar. She can ask for whatever she wants. The fact of the matter is, do you have it to give? 
Don't tell her, don't ever dismiss a woman by saying, oh, that's too much. She asking for this amount for a dowry, who she thinks she is. She's a Muslim woman who has the privilege of asking for whatever she wants as a dowry. That's who she is. Now, if you can't afford it, then just say that. That's too much for me. Can we bring it down a notch? That's above my pay grade. I only get paid twice a week or twice a month. Now, how long it would take me to pay that off? Let's be real. Let's let's be honest. Let's have a real conversation. But to sit here and dismiss and disrespect a Muslim woman by telling her that she is not deserving. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave her that. She can ask for whatever she wants. It's on you whether or not you decide to agree with that and whether or not you can afford that. But you don't have a right to tell the woman that that's ridiculous amount or she's you know lost her mind asking for that amount she can ask for whatever she wants she's utilizing exercising what a lot the privileges that islam gives her as a muslim woman she can ask for whatever she wants but subhanallah you he went through all of this to marry his own sister and then when he was you know put in a situation where he had to get for put forth a sacrifice you go get the poorest quality of food that you could sacrifice did you really want her or was it the ego here again the son of adam wanting what he couldn't have wasn't adam in jannah and allah told him eat from all of the trees in paradise with this one, except this one and it was that one that he couldn't have that shaitan played on that. Here again, that vulnerability, wanting what you can't have. That's another vulnerable space. Shaitan goes to him and whispers to him, you know, Allah only told you don't eat from that tree because if you eat from it, it's going to give you everlasting life. God just don't want you to be ever living like him. Playing on man's God complex. It's another weakness. That's where the ego comes into play, the God complex. And so just as Adam ate from a tree that he had no right to eat from, his own son went after a girl that he had no right to marry. And in both situations, they ended in a not so honorable or noble way. SubhanAllah. Any other lessons that we pulled from the story? Uh-huh. Muslims. Well, I mean, they were, I don't want to say hypocrites, but they were they were people who claimed Islam. They identified themselves as Muslims. No, he was murdered in his own house while he was reading the Quran. Yep. Fasting. How you murder a man while he's sitting down reading the Quran? Fasting. Even before they they were banging at the door with man's wife. Her name is Naila. 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 She said, why don't I just take off my hijab and go out, go outside? Because the Arabs, they had this thing with them. If they, it's like a, seeing a car in distress, right? You see a car in distress, you know, the hazards on. You kind of, you pause for a moment. You, you wait to see if some, is everybody okay? Seeing a woman without her hijab on meant that maybe something is wrong. You know, she's in distress, all right? Something wrong. And maybe they would stop. And Uthman said, Wallahi, don't take off your hijab. I don't want them seeing not one strand of your hair. They don't deserve that. No. She's trying to stop them from breaking in. So she figured if she goes out without her hijab on, maybe they'll see her in distress and maybe they'll feel some type of sympathy and stop. 
fourth man said, no, they don't deserve that. Don't take off your hijab. Don't remove your hijab. Don't let them see one strand of your hair. Let them break the door down. Let them do what they're going to do. I'm asking permission to use yesterday and today's lecture for a doctoral, doctoral assignment. Sure, absolutely. Just anything that is directly my quote, just give me my intellectual property, my intellectual rights. Quote me as I quote it myself. If it's something that I pulled from the Quran or the scholar said, you, you can quote it as it is. But if it's something that came directly from me, a quote of mine, give me my haq. That's all I ask. Give me my right. That's it. Absolutely, you are free. The information is public. Public consumption. When giving a meal, make sure that you are giving something that you would eat. Absolutely. We covered that lesson. These are all lessons, inshallah, that will eventually be put in book form. Uh, two years from now, inshallah, we'll be scrambling, trying to order books so people can purchase this one, inshallah. I mean, it's just amazing that we covered the story of Yusuf, and that book is now in print. SubhanAllah, man. You, you, those who sat in those lessons, like you're actually seeing that in physical form manifested right in front of us. And that's powerful. That's powerful that as a community, we could sit down and have these discussions throughout Ramadan and then publish that in physical form and have it in a book. That is our legacy. I'm speaking of us, Wallahi, it makes me so proud as an African-American Muslim that this is our community. This is what we did for our community. And, and we that this is so powerful, man, so powerful. And we have, there's so much that we can do, man, if we are able to put aside many of our differences and pull our resources together. And subhanAllah, man, we could, do, we could do some great things. Great things. All right, it's almost time for us to break our fast. Alhamdulillah, I think you guys get the point. Um, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to continue to meet every day during Ramadan and you know, discuss these stories, inshallah. So we're done with the story of Habil and Qabil. Uh, the next conversation that we are going to have is the conversation uh, between Prophet Ibrahim and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is wanting your heart to be satisfied. Sometimes you want to, you just want Allah to show you a sign, show you something to put your heart at ease, right? And that's what Ibrahim asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He asked Allah, show me how you give life to the dead. And Allah said, don't you believe? And Ibrahim said, of course I do. I just want my heart to be at ease. It's a conversation between Ibrahim and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that'll be our next conversation, which will start tomorrow, be at 6 p.m. Jazakumallahu khayran. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallama tasliman kathira. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Please don't forget to donate Masjid Rolda Islamic Center of Delaware. We're still doing our fundraising uh, campaign for the whole month of Ramadan, inshallah, to purchase our facility. Our cash app is Rolda Islamic Center, the cash app sign, Rolda Islamic Center. And our PayPal and Zelle is Rolda Islamic Center of Delaware at gmail.com. You want to send it PayPal or Zelle, you can use Rova Islamic Center of Delaware, all right, uh, at gmail.com. So that's our cash app. That's our PayPal and Zelle, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakumullah khairan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. Uh, Thursday, we will, uh, Rova Islamic Center of Delaware will be giving, uh, will be hosting uh, iftar here at the masjid. 
Uh, we will have it catered by one of our local uh, delicious local uh, halal restaurants, inshallah. They will be uh, catering, inshallah. We'll make sure that we have enough for everybody. Don't worry about it. You ain't got to get here early. You ain't got to, you know, got to sneak no food. You ain't got to rush to the front of the line. I promise you, we'll have enough for everybody. Bi'idhnillah. All right? Jazakumullahu khairan. Wa sallallahu ala nabira Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam atasimu kathira. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa That's our um, cash app for those of you still on. Our cash app is pinned here. Um, so you can see our cash app, inshallah. The live is saved. You can always look at the live. The live is saved. You can go to Facebook or you can go to Instagram live. Zell. No, alhamdulillah, my pleasure, my pleasure. So that's the Zell, Rolda Islamic Center of Delaware. Rolda Islamic Center of Delaware at gmail.com. That's our Zell. I will be speaking on Friday, but I will not be giving the Jumu'ah khutbah this Friday. I will not be giving the khutbah this Friday. This is not my Friday to give the khutbah, but I will be doing the class here at the masjid on Friday, inshallah. The class schedule is we give the class every day from 6 to iftar, from 6 p.m. to iftar with the exception of Wednesday and Saturday. Wednesday and Saturday are the only two days that I break. But every other day, we have the class in show. Uh, I have one more. Did, was that the, you that reached out to me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have one for you. Okay. All right, so we're going to go so we can get ready to break our fast, inshallah. Jazakum Allah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.